Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in my home studio recording far, far away from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. You know you know what's so special and important about this week that absolutely every single person listening to this is going to care um, about? Um, no. It's my dad's birthday week. Uh, happy birthday, Leon. Happy Our birthday, Leon. Our number one most loyal listener fan. <laughs> He's he. We can always count on him to listen to every word we say <laughs> and to have something to say back. Oh, I got a lot of texts about the Claire Saffitz chocolate fruit situation. <laughs> let me tell you, he was like, and I was like, I have said on the pod before that I also do not like chocolate and fruit. And he was like, he actually texted me just, we need to talk, period. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> It's about the chocolate and fruit debacle. So, yes, uh, okay, happy birthday, sure, Leon. Sure. We honestly should just call you a producer of the show because you act like one. Um, anyway, yes. how are you doing this week? I'm fantastic. I don't know. Wow. I can't tell what ye- what day it is, what year it is. I th- I feel like this week has been like the breaking point for a lot of people. Am I getting that? Mm. Am I reading that right? Are you getting that? I think so. I mean, I think it's just because like every week that inches closer to the week of March 12th is mm-hmm. a week closer to the year anniversary. And that year is really just daunting. Yeah. Also, the fact that it's almost February already, it, it makes zero sense. And I would like to have a conversation with, um, I don't know, is that God who, who Gregor. sets the calendar? Gregor. Gregor. I, Gregor and I need to have a talk. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I've seen more people on the internet being like, this week 
broke me. I feel like it's because we got on the other side of the inauguration and now it's like, okay, <laughs> what has changed? Besides the fact that like, you know, we're not, our, our, the boat isn't being steered by like a drunken sailor. Or <laughs> it's marginally better than it was before, but it's still like, okay, we're still in the middle of all this shit. So yeah. <laughs> Anyway, coming up on today's episode, we're going to kick things off, as always, with horse things first, where I shout about the stupidest, most ridiculous, worst news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into the Super Bowl party snack table by shooting on the worst foods to share. Because obviously, we're not all going to Super Bowl parties this year. Not that I ever wanted to go to a Super right? Bowl party. You're not... Yeah, everyone listening listening needs to know you should not be going to a Super Bowl party. I guess I should say that sternly because I am your father. If you don't have a father figure in your life, allow it to be me. Terrifying. So I figure because, you know, every responsible person is missing out on Super Bowl parties this year. So we can we can commiserate, get through that by uh, talking about all the food, all the shitty food that we're not missing out on. And then finally, we've got Jake Cohen on the pod. Jake is a recipe developer and author of the upcoming cookbook, Jew-ish. He is a self-proclaimed nice Jewish boy, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a lot of complaining to get off his chest. And I just want to make a really strong statement right now and say that he innovated chocolate chip cookies and he actually created my favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe. I've made it for several people. Uh, They've all said it's the best. And I know a couple weeks back, I talked about that trick with the glass bowl over the cookie to like get them nice and fluffy. I learned it from Mr. Jake Cohen. So that is who we're bringing on the show. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, a a real innovator. Mm -hmm. So all of that's coming up. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start the show. All right, worst things first, let's talk about the worst news of the week first. A Republican state lawmaker in, um, how do you pronounce this? Oklahoma. Sounds fake, but okay. Okay, our producer Melissa <laughs> is from Oklahoma and we will be hearing a lot of shit, so tread very lightly. I couldn't even tell, I couldn't point out Oklahoma on a map. Is it the one that looks it's like the one that looks like a, a frying pan? pan? You- yeah, come on. Okay. Well, I guess I can. It's famous. I guess I can. Yeah. It looks. It's the one that looks like a finger finger gun. Well, we'll <laughs> see if uh, producer Melissa wants to claim um, her home state after this story. A Republican state lawmaker introduced a bill to create an official hunting season for Bigfoot. This is what yes. he decided to focus on. The midst of a pandemic, economic recession, (laughs) insurrection against the government. He's like, you know what we absolutely need right now? Uh, An official hunting season for Bigfoot. Honestly, I'm just upset that I don't live in Oklahoma because I couldn't cast my vote for this representative. <laughs> okay. I love this. I'm fully Throw out behind. all of your morals to vote for a guy. <laughs> who- I, you know what? I need I need to hunt that Bigfoot. Yes. Oh, everybody should know the emphasis in Bigfoot is on the foot. Is on foot. Bigfoot. <laughs> this guy's district in Oklahoma includes the heavily forested Ohichita. Is that how you say it? I don't. 
or Ouachita Mountains, where a, a, a Bigfoot festival is held each year near the Arkansas border. So they're like obsessed with it, which makes a lot of sense because you know that famous video of allegedly of Bigfoot walking mm-hmm. through like a forest? Uh, mm-hmm. That was actually recorded right um, in Northern California, fucking nowhere near this. <laughs> so uh, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Why are they celebrating it here? It's because Bigfoot loves to winter vacation. He's a little bit of a snowbird move from Northern California where it does get quite chilly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wants to go down south. So I, I, again, stand by this makes sense. Sure. I don't know why you're clamoring maybe, maybe you, to justify. Maybe you should study up <laughs> on, on Bigfoot migration uh, before you start shitting all over it. Okay. Acting like you know what you're talking about. By the way, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> As someone who's very tall and very hairy, I would say (laughs) this is actually in my wheelhouse and you should check your privilege. Okay, (laughs) so how about that? According to this dude, establishing an actual hunting season and issuing licenses for people who want to hunt Bigfoot will just draw more people to our already beautiful part of the state. Um, Okay. I mean, I don't think if anybody who's not already insane and, and and intent on going to Oklahoma was like, you know what? We can go get a license to hunt Bigfoot now. Let's go. Let's load up the station wagon and hit the road. A spokesman for the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation said uh, that their agency uses science-driven research and does not recognize Bigfoot. So... Buzzkill, am I right? God, uh, play along, sir. Next! Last week, Kraft Heinz, the makers of Kraft Mac and Cheese. Oh, thank you for explaining. I, I didn't realize that Kraft Heinz had, had formed a marriage, a partnership. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, beautiful. A dangerous, dangerous game they're playing combining these two. Ketchup and mac and cheese? Disgusting together. I know people like that. I think it's No, gross. not a fan. Um, and if you're not a fan of disgusting mac and cheese, you're not a fan of this story because Kraft Uh-oh. announced a contest to give out free kits of its latest limited time mac and cheese. A box of original mac and cheese will be joined by a packet of pink candy flavored powder to mix into Drugs. the cheese. Yeah, that sounds like drugs. It is pink cocaine. The point is, Kraft Mac and Cheese is playing with God and creating a pink candy-flavored <laughs> mac and cheese. According to them, the mix will turn your noodles a bright magenta color rather than a familiar orange. And when I read that sentence, I was like, oh, I guess it's all pretty disgusting. <laughs> There's Because like noodles aren't <laughs> that color either. So what difference does it make? <laughs> I think really it's just the candy flavor part of it that I'm not yeah. into. It, it does sound like whoever brought this to the table really had their five-year-old bring it mm-hmm. to the table. But then maybe that's smart because most of the people maybe who are wanting something like this would be five. So maybe it's actually brilliant. But I think that it's mostly just children took over Kraft Heinz while their parents were working from home. Like they thought they were signing on to their school Zoom, but they actually were signing on to the Kraft Heinz board uh-huh, Zoom. Uh-huh. And then they just they just took well, over. This, this is a Valentine's Day item. 
That is the connection. So I assume that Kraft Heinz was picturing this as some sort of like sensual kind of love making food. Mm. Yeah, I think that they're trying to kind of introduce mac and cheese as belonging to the family of foods that you would perhaps put on a nipple or a dick. Mm, I see. I see. Still, the candy flavor part messes me up. Yeah. According to a spokesperson, uh, the pink hue comes from beetroot and carrot concentrates and tastes like candy um, because it contains fructose, natural flavors and vanilla extract. Vanilla. Vanilla's always. She's a sneaky bitch. Her name is always of the game. She has brand recognition, Vanilla does, if anything. The only thing that I will argue, this is actually an issue that's very dear to my heart, which is I find that Vanilla always gets a bad rap as a flavor that is nothing. Everyone's like, oh, that's so Vanilla. And it's like, okay, how about we take Vanilla out of your life and see how bland everything is all of a sudden? Funny, Mm. funny how that is. Funny how that works out. All this slander, all this shit you're talking about vanilla while she's doing all of the work. She is the girl in class who's showing up to every meeting, taking down all the notes, and then you show up with your binder one week later and copy it down. And I'm sick of it. And finally, also in Florida. Only in Florida. Florida's chief financial officer, which is assuming a lot, You're like, this is assuming that Florida has any type of centralized banking system or even knows what a dollar is. But anyway, their chief financial officer sent a letter to the International Olympic Committee offering Florida services as a site for the 2021 Olympics this summer should (laughs) Tokyo decide to cancel the games. After some (laughs) reports last week suggested that Japan had privately decided to cancel them. So yeah. That is desperate. <laughs> that is desperate. Um, famously, the Olympics, bids are put out for the Olympics years in advance. It costs <laughs> cities millions and millions of dollars. Many of them never recover from it. <laughs> they are, it is a gargantuan undertaking. And Florida is like, we have five months. We'll do it. <laughs> For an international event. I mean, let's face it. The Olympics probably not happening this year. Anyway, Japan has said they haven't made the final decision, but there were reports last week that they privately decided to cancel them. They were already postponed from last year. Um, And yeah, yeah, this guy in Florida, the CFO of Florida was like, just FYI, we're like ready for it. (laughs) Like if you if you decide you're not up for it, we'll do it. Yeah. What I love is that this guy was like, by the way, um, Florida, we've been open this whole time. We have never shut. We we can handle this because like, unlike all of the other states, we've basically like not shut down anything. We don't, we don't (laughs) give a shit. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't mean you haven't had consequences for that. Florida uh, has had 1.67 million coronavirus cases, more than 25,000 deaths, the fourth most of any state. So it's the fourth deadliest state of of the year. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. We can totally host an international event in a matter of months. 
To be fair, and I will never, yeah. I will hardly wow. ever say this about Florida. <laughs> to be fair, in their in their plus column, they housed the NBA bubble at Disney World in Orlando, which is really like it's Disney World. That's like its own entity. I would love, yeah, that's its own state. That that should be like fifty second state is just Disney World. Sure, sure, sure. After Puerto Rico mm-hmm. or Washington, D.C. I guess we're just scrapping one of them to get ready for Disney World in Barry's politics. Yes. And I would like to be <laughs> the I was about to say mayor, but that's not how state government works. I'd like to be the governor. Right. Yeah. And Florida will also be home of the Super Bowl because it'll be in in Tampa. But again, just because you like have refused to shut down doesn't mean that you're actually qualified to do anything. <laughs> okay. I just hope that Florida realizes this, but I'm glad that they feel like they have um, the capability for this. I mean, like, Lord, grant me the serenity of a Florida man who thinks he can do whatever he wants. And that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Next, we're diving deep into your chips and your goddamn guac. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. All right. So this week is the Super Bowl, I think. Uh, it's the Super Bowl. It's when um, a lot of straights, a lot of heterosexuals, this is their a part of their culture, mm-hmm. um, is that they gather in large groups and they watch a bunch of people throw stuff around on television and then they have advertisements and like Budweiser um, rolls out all of their uh, horses or something. <laughs> uh, and I don't even know. Is that them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Bud Light? Or is it the Bud Light? Uh, well, either way, it's Budweiser. So Bud Light as actually short for Budweiser. No, I refuse Light. to acknowledge that. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. And um, a part of a part of this like straight ritual is that everyone gathers and then they share a bunch of f- foods that are are put on like a table with a cheap tablecloth. And because we are not partaking, or at least the straights are not partaking in this particular heterosexual ritual this year, or at least they're not supposed to be participating it, in it, I thought that we'd sort of commiserate over the fact that some of these foods. Um, we're garbage to begin with. Party <laughs> foods, finger foods, they're shit. Uh, and so I want to go through our list of the worst finger foods. First of all, before we get into any of this, I want to just define finger foods here. What makes a good finger food? Mm-hmm. Because I, I I would say actually all foods are finger foods, unless you're a goddamn coward. To me, an ideal finger food is something that, A, you're able to pick up, Mm-hmm. with your fingers mm-hmm. and that you can eat in less than three bites and it doesn't because mm. like to me I won't get into like you know good finger foods really but to me like a ideal finger food is something like a slider right where it's like you can pick it up it's all contained in itself you don't have to hold on to anything afterwards it's just you know you've consumed the entire thing in a few bites and you're done with it I think that is a fair definition Let's blow it up. All right. First, a fucking cheese ball. (laughs) I hate a cheese ball or cheese log or whatever, like, monstrous sculpture of cheese that you want to put on a table with a surrounding moat of crackers or chips. 
No. Is it the kind that has like the the almonds? It's like dressed yeah. in almonds. It's always oh. yeah. It's like a mash of cheese. I, I always left whenever shit. we whenever we would have a party like a family gathering, and my, my one of my aunts would make a cheese ball, and she'd come and she'd say like, "I made I made a cheese ball," and it's like, "No, you fucking did, did not <laughs> milk you, that you cow." Mashed together cheese <laughs> and rolled it in some nuts. <laughs> That's not cooking. I mean, I'm not going to push out my little elitist hat and, and pull out my wedgie and say, oh, you have to cook something and bring it to a party. But I am saying that a cheese ball is a monstrous abomination. It's a hard orb of mystery cheese that defies every cracker or chip that tries to <laughs> penetrate it. It's the death star of party foods. <laughs> have you ever tried scooping a cheese ball? It's impossible. It's Im- no, it's it's impossible. Loaded nachos. I'm not a fan. This is a controversial one, perhaps. And I don't even know if parties have like loaded nachos, really. I guess they do. Like a taco dip, maybe. It's all, it's all in the same family. How is a nacho not loaded at any point? Or what is the threshold for when a nacho is considered loaded? Right. Like what blood alcohol content do they have to blow exactly. in order to qualify as loaded? Right. My beef pun intended with loaded nachos is that they're just a travesty there's too much happening it's like there's never you can never really get like the perfect bite out of a plate of loaded nachos because the bottom's always soggy yeah there's always just a nacho on the bottom that's just disintegrating under the weight of this entire structure that you've you've constructed against God's will this tower of Babel that you've tried to you've tried to erect up into heaven <laughs> it won't work what we need is one dip that you can just plunge your your chip into and that you get a little bit of everything I agree instead of instead of creating this construction, of 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 chips and fillings. Next, artichoke dip. I would say oh, is among my least favorites. I love and don't it so you good. even start? I love it so much. It, I mean, I know it's gross, and like the idea of it is gross. Yeah. And when I put it in my mouth, I'm like, this texture is weird, but I want more of it. Artichoke has absolutely no business being in a dip. <laughs> what are you doing here? This is not your country. <laughs> this is not your home. Artichoke. And it's one of those things that, like, I never crave an artichoke dip. I never think, oh, I'd really love artichoke dip right now. But the second yeah. it's there, I'm like, this is all I ever wanted. Yeah. It's all I ever needed. Whoa. <laughs> Next. Other party foods I'm not a fan of. Hot wings and blue cheese dressing. Too Specifically messy. that combination. Yes. I would say, yes, hot wings in general are a little too messy for my taste. I don't really like having like bones left over mm-hmm. <laughs> to have to contend with. Yeah. That being said, there's something specifically about the combination of a buffalo sauce and a blue cheese dressing that is absolutely revolting to me. And I don't know what stoner came up with this disgrace of a food combination. But I would like answers. Blue cheese to begin with is horrible. Okay. Harsh. I like blue cheese, but that's okay. I mean, I rarely eat it. I also was going to add an asterisk or an an amendment to the finger food definition and say, to me, an important part of what makes a good 
finger food is that it's not too messy that like you can continue to use your finger. Maybe, maybe you wipe a little bit on a napkin, but you're not like drenched hot wings and blue cheese dressing. There's no way to eat that without like a full bib or like fully washing your hands afterwards, or you have to lick your fingers, which is disgusting to then continue without washing your hands after that. Yeah, I will say this is probably also a consequence of us, um, you know, not being fully immersed in heterosexual culture. But Mm. I do think there is something about the kind of disgusting hands, getting your hands dirty, having sauce smeared across your cheeks and face. Yeah, that is part of the straight experience (laughs) that I would say I certainly don't partake in. I actually have a distinct memory of the first time that I was confronted with hot wings in a sports <laughs> bar situation and being so baffled as to why celery was there. Why is, is she there? The, the main like accompaniment to hot wings and uh, a blue cheese dressing is celery. Is it to cool down the, the heat? I, right. I think it's intended to like, uh, yeah, cool your palate down. But, but what a weird choice. And finally, on the note of of celery, I would say veggie trays, specifically a veggie tray that you've bought at the grocery store pre-made. 100%. They're always just like ashy (laughs) and like a little gray. They always have those little white like shades on them. Yeah. And there's always like at least one or two vegetables that get left out. I don't like reliving the trauma of high school gym class whenever I'm enjoying a party snack. Where it's like, oh, now I'm like depressed because I'm identifying with the the, the little dish of radishes that's a part of this uh, uh, veggie tray that nobody is touching. Because why the fuck would you cut up radishes and put it on a tray with with other stars like carrots and broccoli? Well, Matt, I will tell you, I do love radishes. I love dipping them in things. And, you can and take this is your why we're pity eating radishes and get <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I hate radish. What is the a radish has no flavor. It has no taste. Okay, a fresh actual radish does. Well, guess what you're not getting in a veggie tray? <laughs> a fresh actual radish. As far as I'm concerned, that's not even a thing that grew in the ground. It's pretty much styrofoam. Radishes. Yeah. Um, but also like pea pods, I, I never quite understood no. in a veggie tray. Mm-mm. If I am presented with a veggie tray, I'm pretty much always going to go straight for either the broccoli or the carrots. Yeah. Runners up or tomatoes and cauliflower. Anyway, that's it for our deep dive this week. Next, we got Jake Cohen on the pod right after this commercial break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. 
But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. My guest complainer today is Jake Cohen, superstar cook, recipe developer, social media pun master, and now the author of a soon-to-be-released cookbook, Jew-ish. Welcome, Jake. Oh, we got the we got the visual plug already. Always. Seconds Always. in. <laughs> Come on. Thank you so much. Big fan. I'm so excited, likewise. Longtime listener, like first-time caller. You. Like, this is, this is it. I'm ready. We're here. We like to start by asking, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? Brunch. Wow. And and I'm going to, I will clarify. I'm not like on this crusade against pancakes. It's not the brunch food. It is the, Uh the social act of gathering at brunch, especially in, I would say, urban centers like New York that just call out the white gays the white it's the worst it's the worst (laughs) I am not like the thing is originally the one thing I was going to say was drinking but I felt like that would just been like too much of a a shot at you um because that's like part of the brand more direct yeah Uh but I'm not a big drinker I'm always very open that I'm like that that New York mag article about like people being Cali sober like that is my life that is what I enjoy and the idea of brunch where a it's always at like 1130 or noon. That's lunchtime. So like I have to plan a whole nother meal because I get up, I'm an early mm-hmm. riser and I'm not going to wait until noon to eat. I'm not intermittent fasting. I'm starving. And then on top of it, I'm always responsible for getting a reservation, which getting a brunch reservation on a Saturday or Sunday in New York is hell. I feel like I have to pull a favor every time just right. just to get together with four people. Right. I, every time I hear about a restaurant closing, I mean, granted, this year has been especially difficult for restaurants pre-pandemic when restaurants would close down. I'm like, why the fuck can't I get a reservation at any brunch place if there are places closing down? Like, how are you closing down? Do brunch and I'll be there. But it's people like you. You are ruining the restaurant industry <laughs> by not supporting brunch. But, but, here, the, but here's the, the other side of that is just because I hate it doesn't mean I, I don't partake. I, I right. mean, You're it, it an is, unwilling participant I, I, in the institution of brunch. This is New York. If you, if everyone's watching pretend it's a city right now. And I think the whole, the whole like moral of that entire show is like, New York is terrible, but it's still the best. Like, and it's like every aspect of our day-to-day life <laughs> yeah. is torture, but I'm right. still going to do it. New York is a, a unicorn that we've all sort of like fallen off of and it's dragging us behind, <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it to be latched onto this unicorn. Yeah. I Is there any part of living in a pandemic that makes you miss brunch? Yes. So I will say like the act of dining with others and sharing meal, that, that like communal act of breaking bread, which is so integral to kind of everything I do in terms of work and, and the work I do, mm-hmm. it, it, it's to miss that. And there's nothing like knowing that like I've seen people and I have friends who do like the virtual brunches, like oh, I grab a bottle of champagne. <laughs> it's like, no, you're just <laughs> drinking alone at home. It's sad. It's not like 
it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. I think so much of it is, I think human interaction and connection with food is so important. Mm-hmm. Even if you're both eating over Zoom, that's lovely. It's just not the same. Right. No, I fully agree with that one. I have not gotten behind Zoom happy hours, Zoom Zoom brunches. It's just, I, I mean, not to tank my own brand, although I think <laughs> I've been open about it, but I really haven't drank that much in quarantine because I find it weird to drink by myself. Fundamentally, when you're on a Zoom or whatever, it's like you're, you kind of are just drinking by yourself. A hundred percent. And there's, I mean, there's You're nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just sure. not my, it's, I am someone who prefer <laughs> to eat an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's alone right, in, in right. the dark. Your depression manifests in, in other ways. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So you hate brunch. You hate fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do miss, yeah, the, the, the act of going out. I also, uh, I mean, we were talking about this. You sound like you're a morning person, like yes. hardcore morning person. Yes. When, when does the day start for you? So it varies. It depends on, on my anxiety. It depends on everything, sure. but typically somewhere between five and 7 a.m. Um, oh my God. I would, in general, in general, 637. Okay. 637. If I have some, I don't know, if some if that's something's going on or if I partake too much, then it's like I pass out at 9 p.m. and I wake up at five, which I'm not gonna say that's like a norm, but it happens, uh-huh. especially during pandemic. There's something like if you if you black out at 9 p.m. and are up at 5 a.m., like that's not even a problem. It's it's the best. <laughs> like that's you you can't be an alcoholic if you black out at 9 p.m. <laughs> and wake up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I don't care what got you to that point. You are like, by definition, you're not an alcoholic. Exactly. It is. But it's, I find that like, I get up, I go to the gym, I get my life together. And on the weekends, like everything is done and set by like 11 a.m. where I'm fed, watered, exercised. And then I can like start my day. And sometimes that means just like getting in bed and like catching up on housewives or I don't know, like. That's honestly, that's that's the only thing that came to mind that I do on the weekends. It's not really anything else. Um, but I, I just think that there, there is something to get done. When you do brunch, when you go out with friends, like, A, you start at like 11, you end at like one thirty-two. You are uh-huh. so exhausted afterwards because you've been stuffed. And it's like, like I said, I'm up early. I've already had breakfast. So I might get some pancakes, but typically I'm getting the burger because mm-hmm. I have no self-control. And, and then afterwards, you're <laughs> exhausted. I have to take a nap. Right. And the, the day is gone. And then I wake up and it's dinner time. And I have to do it all over again. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I love how, how much of a struggle <laughs> brunch is in your life. Yeah, I do. The one thing I will agree on is that uh, I, I also lack self-control. So when I am at brunch, like... If there is a bottomless mimosa situation, and there always is, like, obviously, I'm finding the bottom. And then <laughs> being day drunk, being day drunk is like not, I don't like it. Yeah. No. It just ruins your entire day. Yeah. And more importantly, it ruins the night, which I feel like weekend night, like a Saturday night in New York City, it can be so magical. And if, it's, if it becomes like a struggle, it, you just lose it. Right. Yeah. I um 
yeah, there's oh, there's only like a really thin thin line separating me from just absolutely breaking at any point, <laughs> and so <laughs> being day drunk is really it's all it takes. Um, okay, so um, you how how has life been the past ten months? I guess what is walk me through kind of what your year has been like. It's been wild. So the whole, I mean, I think the the book is this like really great like time stamp because we shot it. The cookbook shoot was the week before lockdown. So our last day of shooting, we just had, I just got so lucky in the sense that our last day of shooting was the day New York went on pause. And Mm -hmm. so the beginning of quarantine was this like process of, of then finishing the book, going through edits in, in the same time of like having this immense pressure and having just like, the whole world crumbling around you. And I was one of those, like, like most New Yorkers who stayed, like I didn't, there was a full month. I didn't leave my apartment building. Like I physically did not step right. outside of the building and you slowly lose your mind. And it's a very strange situation. We are very blessed. I live in this very marvelous Mrs. Maisel setup where I'm in the same building <laughs> as my mother and my sister. Oh, okay. So I've been in quarantine with my sister and her fiance, which has been mm-hmm. just a godsend because they're already, they're our best friends and, and we get to do dinner, which is equally exhausting because now I'm cooking for a family of four every night, but also just really <laughs> nice to be able to like play games and, and do all of the puzzles and, and stupid shit that people love in, in quarantine. Right, right. How about um food? Like, have you been... I guess, what was your kind of relationship with food before? Talk to me about your food problems. Uh, That's what it sounds like I'm going. Yeah. (laughs) No, Um, talk to me about like how, um, where, where did it start? Were you always a food person? No. Uh, I mean, yes and no. I was, I mean, I was actually a, not picky picky, but I was a vegetarian growing up um, from Mm -hmm. eight to eight to 18. And it was one of those things that I was a heavy, I was a very heavy kid in high school and I didn't have many friends and I started getting into cooking and started having people over and throwing these like little dinner parties. I say dinner parties, but it's like, I was like making a giada and an Ina recipe and like thinking that I'm like hot shit. This was very basic, <laughs> very like garbage cooking, but uh-huh. high school students, everyone's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever because you also realize looking back that most people's parents are terrible cooks and like (laughs) like truly like I look back at there was this one girl whose mother was like taught her to like beat her cake batter for like 10 minutes to make it fluffy I'm like no 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 that's not how this works and and you just realize that, that like that's everyone just has this I don't know preconception of that the parents are good cooks and you look back and like uh not really so I started right. doing this and it became this really <laughs> insane, fast response of, of I started to make friends. I started to kind of build this community around food and, and that positive reinforcement around cooking for others and, and having, I don't know, an influx of love was was something that I knew was like, all right, I got I to gotta stick to this. Right. So food is a trap for you. 100%. It's a way of, of luring people in and then getting them to stay. Master manipulator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, talking about how terrible everyone's moms are at cooking, um, I I feel like it is sacrilegious for me to admit. And my my mom just texted me as that was coming out of my mouth, so uh, she knows she knows I'm about to talk shit. Um, yeah, 
I don't. I I feel like people need to realize, like, you need to expand your horizons beyond whatever filth your mother was serving you. And listen, I am very open about this. I talk about it in the book. My mother has her things. She has her things that she, like, her latkes, <laughs> the best latkes. Mwah. Best, best. She has this chocolate Mars pancake. I mean, it's it's box cake mix with canned almond pie filling, but it's delicious. It's delicious. And it's her invention. But you look back and you realize that some of the specialties that you would have, like, oh, mom's making this tonight. And you look back and you're like, do I ever need to have that again? Probably not. And part of that is <laughs> yeah. you get, you we, we live in New York and we're spoiled for with like, incredible food from around the world that every day I now needed, I need variety constantly. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, when I was home in, in Chicago, I realized how, um, horrible all of our local <laughs> restaurants are. <laughs> I No, I will say Chicago has a very, of everywhere in New York, for example, I think Chicago's food scene is much better than LA. Um, yeah, I, th- I would probably agree with that. Although, uh, so I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. And so gotcha. we were eating uh, like, yeah, our idea of like a fancy restaurant growing up was Olive Garden. <laughs> and so or, I mean, like, we, loved, we were a big, big hula hands family. I feel I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, this was like, oh, we're going out to put on your nice jeans. <laughs> we're going to the, the Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I got I got to New York, and I remember I did a college show, and I felt so bad afterwards because the college kids took me out. The like p- people who plan the the event took me out to dinner beforehand, and I was like, I, I I remember saying something like, "Yeah, I didn't realize like how terrible the food I grew up with was until I moved out of the Midwest." And it was like in the Midwest, and as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, "This is a horrible thing to say to these <laughs> nice little this college why- kids who." took me <laughs> this is why everyone hates new yorkers it's like that whole idea it's like they hate us they hate us we bring it upon ourselves i bring upon every negative thing i bring it upon myself <laughs> how has this food kind of relationship changed over the past year has it i mean you not being able to invite people over for these dinner parties and things yeah and being averse to the zoom the zoom of it all for sure i mean it, i'd say that the, again like the book was kind of the savior because the whole purpose of it is I did that exact same thing then again as an adult. My husband and I, before we were married, we were we were dating and we we're like, great, we don't have any gay friends. We didn't have many friends in general, but like we wanted to like have a little gay community in New York. Mm-hmm. And I mean, where do you find gay people? It's like gay bars or gay brunch or grinder. Right. And and neither any none of those places were like fulfilling what like that going to a gay bar was not going to give us like a good group of friends because that was doing it around a ritual that we didn't enjoy. So Mm -hmm. anyone that we would meet there would not necessarily have the same like priorities as us. So we turned Mm -hmm. to Shabbat, which is something that like, I didn't grow up hosting Shabbat. I grew up in a very secular household. I'm not religious. I was very much like got bar mitzvahed, had the party, was like done. Uh, (laughs) My husband wasn't even bar mitzvahed, did not grow up with Hebrew school. And we were like, why don't we start doing this? We can have people over Friday night. And it just became this like really magical situation where I would have 10 people over. Some people we knew, some people were like people from Instagram that I was just Mm -hmm. like, you should, you should come to Shabbat. And they would always say yes. And we had made some really, really, really great friends. And that continued. And for like the holidays, I would do these huge ones with like a hundred or 150 people that would just like destroy me because it was so much work, but it was so rewarding because you got to like 
extend hospitality and make all these people happy, all surrounding Jewish things, but not like, not like it's like, that's why it's like Jewish. It's like, we're not, we're not praying. We're not putting on, on yarmulkes. We are just like celebrating some age old traditions in a modern fashion that works for our lives. And I would say like during the pandemic, having the ability to first, the huge chunk of it, just finish the book because the book really Mm -hmm. wasn't finished until the fall of last year. And then from there, it was just like social media, the power of, I'm one of those like assholes on TikTok who is like (laughs) posting recipe videos and using Instagram. And the fact of like developing recipes that I feed my family and then seeing people make the same recipes to feed their families kind of has like scratched that same itch of, of connection and community. And you could see that a lot. I mean, I think a perfect example would be like Molly Baz from Bon App who now has her own like recipe club. And, and whenever you see like you telling people like, we should all make this recipe and everyone does it, it becomes this like I don't know, the snowball effect. I think that's what happened with banana bread in the beginning of pandemic where people started to have like FOMO cooking and baking where they see other people doing it. So they're like, (laughs) all right, I'm I'm in. And Uh the same thing with sourdough, though no one, no one really had, had, they shouldn't like, (laughs) I was a little, a little too much to, to chew. Uh huh. Yeah. I think you do like a really great job at it. I, I've looked at your TikTok. I've, First of all, the thing that always amazes me, and as as someone who's dabbled in in creating some some food content of my own now, oh yes, uh, I love it. You do a great job. Well, thank you. I wasn't fishing, but but thank you. I will take it. <laughs> the ap- uh, and the aprons. Uh, the aprons are the best part. <laughs> I you know just bulk ordered on Amazon. <laughs> um, are there any uh, foods or like flavors that you are not? Oh, decidedly not a fan of. Interesting. So it's funny because I'm not kosher. I'm very open about that. Big bacon fan, all of that. I'm not huge on shellfish. I will eat it. Okay. I think when it's done well, it's delicious. I will never say no to it at a fancy restaurant. It's part of the tasting uh-huh. menu, all of that good stuff. But I'm never like, you know what I'm craving? Lobster. Never. <laughs> yeah, I was never a big shellfish person. I, although my mom and I were used to it when I was younger, which is weird because I feel like it should go in the other direction, but I used to eat shrimp like crazy. And I think maybe it's the older I got, the more you realize like, actually, this is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I have the foresight of of maturity, I am disgusted by whatever this animal actually is. Well, I I think you also start to realize like, did I like the shrimp or did I just want to eat cocktail sauce with a spoon? (laughs) And that that it's like, well, I'd rather have chicken nuggets Uh as an adult than I would like shrimp cocktail. Right. Um, Yeah. We had Claire Saffitz on recently and her her big thing was fruit and chocolate. That combination was an absolute no for her. Yes. With, With the exception. So here's the thing. I agree with that. There's just this one thing that I used to get at Costco. Now you can get them anywhere, but they're like um, Brookside chocolate covered acai blueberries. So they're these like little like can like gummy candies covered in chocolate, and it's probably the only candy that I would eat until I was sick. Like just okay. like <laughs> easily a thousand calories in a sitting, just like inhaling it like an animal. And I think that, uh-huh. that kind of forced me into appreciating more of like the chocolate fruit combo, the act of like a 
edible arrangement of like chocolate covered strawberries like Godiva, that is a sham. I completely agree <laughs> with with Claire. Anything Claire says is gospel naturally. Right. But the two things I think are the worst, chocolate and mint, like mint chocolate chip. Okay. Get the fuck out. Don't want it. That Don't is it. that is sacrilege on this podcast. Mm. Uh, because no. I'm I am actually staunchly supportive of mint and chocolate. We have two two realms of ice cream that are appropriate. One is anything from Jenny's, which I think is the best. And then two uh-huh. is Ben and Jerry's fish food, which I would eat at every meal for the rest of my life if I could. And that's that's okay. just it. That's the, uh, that's a hard stop on that one. So it's just that mint chocolate chip is not in either of those categories. And mint and chocolate in general. Like I'm not like I'm not into like the Andes, the the mint, the the patties, like any any of it. Uh, no. Nah. And chocolate and no. orange. I think chocolate and berries is okay. Chocolate and orange, eh. Right. The only combo that I don't like mint and chocolate wise is when mint, the mint is like actual mint. <laughs> and the, it's like that's a salad. I, it needs to be like synthetic. I need to, I need to like get if it the more like toothpaste it tastes like, the better, in my opinion. <laughs> Fluorescent the more it green. tastes like a plant. Yeah. Uh if you are like stoned out of your mind, um, which I assume you are. Uh, right now. What is, <laughs> exactly, what is like the one thing that you go for? Chex Mex. I think it is. Oh, I think that's it is, not what I was expecting. I think it's peak. <laughs> I think it is peak. It's, it's the, got the textures. It's salty. It's it's umami. I think it's everything that I want because you have like the checks and you have different types of checks and I get very fixated when I'm high. So I think I love the the variety and I get to pick right, through. Like Except sensory. I hate hate the pretzels and Chex Mix. I think they're garbage and I pick through them. So at the end, there's just a bag full of pretzels that I give to someone. Okay. This was, I thought, going pretty well. And now like, <laughs> and the, like right, the actual later. food opinions are coming out. And I, uh, yeah, the pretzels are the best part of Chex Mix. The, the, no! Yeah, I'll say it. The worst part are those weird little toasty flakes that are like the always too hard. Or the bagel It chips. always, it like... It looks like a little kidney and it's like dark, dark brown. Those are bagel chips. So you're anti-Semitic. That's what we're getting at. <laughs> That's what we're getting at here. That's the true, the true, the true root of the problem. That is not a bagel chip. That's There's a bagel no chip. semblance of a, pump, a, a bagel. bagel chip. Pumpernickel is what I actually hate, I think. Big pumpernickel fan. Again, one of my biggest things, though, is we are big fans. My whole family, if you just get blitzed and go to really fancy restaurants, like I was speaking of since you're from Chicago, I was so high at Alinea. It was the most expensive meal of my life. And I would have never not been high for it because it's like it makes great food taste like a religious experience. So why not? Yeah. I asked someone once and I've thought about it ever since of like what was the best bite of food that you've ever had in your like, is there one thing that you've eaten that you're like, I I will remember that forever as the best thing I've ever eaten. That's a really, really, really great question. Um, I think I have bites. I think every, I think really if there are things that I remember from a specific restaurant or specific meal, there's like a dish. And to me, it could be as simple as like the first time I had like the cheeseburger pita at Mizunon and Chelsea Market where you just mm-hmm. have something where it's it's it just makes sense to like fancier things. I'd say a, a, a lot of the the pastries when I worked at Danielle, there was this 
this insane dessert that Dominique Ancel developed while he was the pastry chef there. And I started shortly after he went on to open his own bakery. Right. And cronut. he created this thing called, not the cronut, this is pre-cronut. And I mean, we become friends. He actually made my wedding cake, which I love to drop because it okay, was just wow. so, 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 so <laughs> insane. Just brag it out. But he, it was this thing called the chocolate coulant. And it's a French dish. And what it was is, as I'm like doing like this little like phallic hand gesture, <laughs> it, was a, it was a layer of brownie that uh-huh. was wrapped around with chocolate sable. So it made this like this, this cylinder. And then it was filled with molten chocolate, then fleur de sel caramel, and then more molten chocolate cake and baked. So it was like this like half cookie, half brownie, half molten lava cake with filled with caramel. And it was it was like currency at the restaurant where if there were, if the pastry people had leftovers at the end of the night because you couldn't do it, it had to be fresh that day, you would, they would trade it for like savory things. It was always a barter system in the back of the house. And uh-huh. I would, when we would do events and there would be like leftovers, I would just like put, I would just like eat a whole one at once and just inhale it as fast as I could before anyone else could get it because it was truly, I think, one of the best things ever. And now, and I wasn't even, I couldn't even think of it at first, but now that I'm talking about it, it is by far the best thing I've ever had in my life. Do they still make it? I have no idea. They have a new pastry chef, so I would assume potentially not. I I, I literally, I told Dominique, I was like, listen, if you'll make them for my wedding, it's like, we could skip the cake and you just make a bunch of those. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, it, it is beyond. Now I want one and I'll be upset if they don't make it anymore because you've, you've talked it up so much. We can, I yeah. will, eventually I will do like a, a DIY at home. It's, it'll, it'll take, <laughs> yeah, it'll take you two days, <laughs> two days. You have to buy a bunch of ingredients and tools on Amazon, but you'll all be worth it. Um, well, we're nearing the end, but I wanted to ask about, um, you've, you've dropped some, some promos and uh, throughout for, for your book, but, um, for, for the people. So what's the big idea? The funny, I mean, I try to say it very like succinctly that it's a love story because it really is that it, it is this conversation of my husband and I as young adults being 20 somethings in New York figuring out what our Jewish identity was and what it came down to was when we met, like he had no clue what Ashkenazi food was. He had never had babka before. He never had gefilte fish. His definition of Jewish food was completely different than mine. And for him, he had a, a boyfriend who had no idea what kubba was or had never had tadi, crispy Persian rice. And it became this like really, really incredible journey of exploring each other's food cultures and along the way kind of understanding more and deeper of what our identities are and how we wanted to incorporate Judaism into our lives in a very modern work for us kind of way. And this book is pretty much a testament to that with recipes that both preserve family recipes and also make it super approachable for the New York Times cooking age millennial who's looking to get more in the kitchen. Right, right. And when when does it come out? Comes out March 9th, uh, okay, wherever fine books up. are sold. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to get it. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you you do a great job on Instagram of of 
making things look very easy, at least from the outside. You are like a uh, holla king. The recipe's constantly. in the book. The challah has been, that's honestly when everyone went to, to sourdough, I went to challah. And uh-huh. I, I just really started to like dig into what affects the dough. How do you get that perfect, perfect recipe? And it's one of those things that, and I think, helping empower people to understand the why behind what they're doing in the kitchen makes them so much more um, ready to adapt and pivot and and understand what they're doing. That's what I hope to do. Again, it's a Jewish book, but it's really like, if you're a New Yorker, you'll also love it. If you're, I say it's for Jews who love food and for foodies who love Jews. They're great recipes, no matter what. Everyone loves a babka. It's 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 like 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 uh, Elaine said in Seinfeld. You can't beat a babka. Everyone in New York, Jew or Gentile, goes to breads. Like y- y- like it's not a <laughs> right. It's not a, you'll you'll love this no matter what. Are you a uh, team cinnamon babka or team or chocolate babka? I I don't I don't I don't I don't have a a, a favorite. I think it's the funny thing is is I do for babka and rugula. I do a master dough. And then I do different filling variations. So mm-hmm. my version of chocolate babka is I do a chocolate tahini babka. For cinnamon, I actually do pumpkin spice babka and fill it oh. with like pumpkin puree and all the warm spices. And then I do two savory babkas, which I'm really, really into, like savory baking. And yeah. so I do a um, pistachio pesto and a Reuben. So it's literally packed with like chopped pastrami and Swiss and... Uh, carrot top with caraway seeds. So again, not very kosher, but still very Jewish. And that's the big right. conversation. A lot of people ask like, oh, is it kosher? I do a lot of like variations and, and swaps for people. But I think this idea of like what Jewish food is, is ever evolving. And we live in this world, especially in New York, where a Reuben is a Jewish sandwich, even though it's not kosher. Right. Before we let you go, where can people find you and your work? At Jake Cohen everywhere on Instagram, on TikTok. It's on Twitter. I hate Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. But if you want to follow me, it's like join, join the the few the tens of people who do. Um, but yeah. And then uh, Jewish. Is that how you uh, how you are pronouncing the title yes. of the book? Emphasis Jew-ish. on the ish. The whole joke is that like forever secular Jews in America say like, oh, are you Jewish? I'm Jewish. And that's right. the thing. And it, it's it's a real testament to modern Judaism. <laughs> uh and that'll be everyone can can pre-order it now well thank you so much my pleasure it was i i'm happy to come and complain whenever that's the, they always say that like for every four jews you have 17 opinions and i think there's nothing better <laughs> than complaining with others exactly we got through we got through at least half of them so <laughs> we'll have to have you back one day All right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that helps all the bad shit go down easier, starting with Do Better White People, where we highlight some anti-racism resources and other actions we take to make our world a little bit better every week. Matt, what are we highlighting this week? This week, I wanted to highlight Black Poetry. Um, So Amanda Gorman, as you may know, was the star of the inauguration. She was, uh, besides Bernie, Bernie in his little mitts and his little coat. That was that was a nice moment that has now been uh, memed to death, to to absolute (laughs) death. 
So yes, my first recommendation, go rewatch Amanda's poem. Follow her on Instagram. She also has a book coming out later this year, a book of poems. Uh, so you can pre-order that. But also, this is uh, from one of my fave accounts on Instagram now, Anti-Racism Daily, um, that is very informative that I follow and I've recommended before. And um, they wrote in their newsletter uh, about how black poetry has long been used as a means of protest. It has a long relationship with protest before the United States was even founded. And one kind of concrete thing that Anti-Racism Daily highlighted was this partnership between two organizations called Youth Speaks and First Exposures. And both of them uh, work with uh, young people who um, specifically young creatives to try to teach the kind of relationship between art and civic engagement and protests and all of the things like that. And they're raising money to create this space in San Francisco in the Mission District that will be hopefully post-COVID this kind of like safe space and learning center for um, young people and young artists and photographers um, to learn art and civic engagement. Love it. So um, we'll put all of that in the show notes and you can donate to those groups and also go follow those things. Great. Let's get into the TV we've been watching this week. Barry, what you've been watching? Continuing to watch the things that I talked about last week. Riverdale, the first episode of the season was chef's kiss just an absolute delight it was prom it was ugh, everything to me uh it was ridiculous so ridiculous and then search party i am absolutely heartbroken because today the last four episodes of the season come out and oh yes. yeah and i'm so excited and i'm also so sad that it's happened so fast <laughs> So, um, yeah, just continue, continuing to watch those things. What about you? I have been watching um, mm-hmm. a, an old, mm-hmm. an oldie, The West Wing, because I'm a fucking nerd. Okay. I think it was too, like, <laughs> unpalatable for me to watch during the last four years. It was yeah. just too upsetting. That's like only Veep. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, there was something about, like, an entire season of the West Wing having a scandal that we would live through in like a 12 hour period <laughs> and with no consequences. Uh, but I do, it is, it is a great show if you've never watched it. I mean, it is one of the, the most celebrated television dramas of all time. Um, but yeah, I do enjoy having that on the background. I also just last night um, started watching Amy Schumer learns to cook. <laughs> Oh, really? What is that on? Which is just, it's on, oh, actually, I think it's on Discovery Plus. Don't ask me why I have Discovery Plus. (laughs) (laughs) It's Amy Schumer and her husband, who is a chef, are um, they, they have like this cooking show that they film out of their kitchen and it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like funny. It's funny to see them lean into like, they very clearly like don't even shower for it and like make jokes about how they they don't even shower for it. I only really just started watching it and the first episodes are from like early like April I think or May like early pandemic. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's an enjoyable fun stupid cooking show and it's on Discovery Plus. <laughs> what is your non-TV chaser? Oh, you know what my non-TV chaser is. <laughs> Everyone's strapping for this. Here we go. All right. So here's the deal. 
I there's a podcast called You're Wrong About that I have heard a lot about, but I hadn't listened. And I was like, let me try this. Let me let me dip my toes into this. And I saw that they had a kind of recent it was like in November two part episode about the newsboy strike in the 1800s, which is what the 1992 Disney film Newsies uh, is based on. Uh And I was like, I was obsessed with Newsies when I was younger. So I was like, let me listen to this. And I loved the two episodes of the podcast. And then uh, I was over at your apartment and we watched Newsies because you haven't seen it. We tried to watch it a while ago and like 15 minutes in you were like nope can't do this they're too young and it makes me uncomfortable to feel this way um and (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's upsetting to see christian bale look so hot and only be like 18 yeah also within the first shot there's like one of the most homoerotic moments of the entire film (laughs) so so it's like a niche it's like immediately horny yeah absolutely um and so we watched it and it just like reignited this part of my brain that has been dormant where which that part of the brain apparently holds every single word to every single song and also just like the words in the dialogue and also the choreography like it like i felt it in my body come back to life but also because Like, I don't think I realized I understood, like, I was so deep in the Newsies world in seventh grade that, like, the kids who were actors in Newsies made a home video horror movie called Blood Drips Heavily on Newsies Square that when I was in seventh grade, one of the cast members, like, sold as a side business on VHS and I owned a copy. Like, that's how deep I was. It's also, like, the only thing that I, like, read fan fiction of. (laughs) Maybe Lord of the Rings a little bit, but mostly Newsies. Um, really saying a lot about me uh, in seventh grade right now. And I I like knew how much Newsies impacted my horniness as like a 13-year-old, but I didn't realize that it radicalized me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is what the You're Wrong About episode is about, is like the fact that Disney in 1992 put out this movie all about unionizing and like really political statements as sung by young boys who are singing and dancing and it really uh yeah that's like definitely how I knew about unions when I was a kid I was like where else did I learn nope it was from newsies and like how good and important they were (laughs) um and it just really it's really helped me seize the day and that is my chaser. Do you have anything to comment on <laughs> from I mean, you know, one experience? thing about it, that this is not at all about um, anything that you're saying. Cool. One thing that confused me and why <laughs> I feel like I was so kind of um, t- kind of tormented sexually was that <laughs> whatever the, the, the Imagineers at Disney did to this film, because it was made in 1992... Okay, Mm -hmm. I've been watching The West Wing, which was made in the early 2000s, and it looks like it was made in the early 2000s. (laughs) Like, it's it's a little scratchy, like, it's not high definition, it's, like, decidedly standard definition. Everybody is, like, a little fuzz. Newsies, 1992 Newsies. Crystal clear. Is, like, the clearest (laughs) film I've ever seen. It looks like it was filmed in the year, like, 2025. I don't know how they did it. I don't know what remastering they did to make it happen, but it does not look like a movie that was made in 1992, (laughs) and that's why I'm so confused. It's like I'm staring at this perfect recreation 
of an 18-year-old Christian Bale, even though it fully looks like he should be 20 years older than that. <laughs> it's upsetting. Oh, it's so good. I love it so much. And now we have to watch the Broadway show. Yes, we on, do. Because it's available on Disney Plus. So we will be watching that. Um, what's your chaser this week? Yeah, we've said absolutely far too much about Newsies. <laughs> Honestly, I could keep going, but I won't. I won't. I could, but I won't today. Um, my chaser, this is going to make me sound like uh, I live in an absolute um, disaster zone always, which is true. So if it sounds like that, then that's why. Um <laughs> But I've been one of my, I guess, resolutions. I don't really want to call it that. One of the habits that I'm trying to uh, get better at or develop is cleaning my kitchen every day. <laughs> no, I don't know I, how else to struggle. say that. It's a struggle. Right. Basically, I, I have had a bad habit, especially in the past year, of just letting things get out of control. It's like one day there's one dish and then the next day it's like, OK, the walls are covered in dirt. <laughs> like there's it, there's no in between. And so uh, to me, it would always be like. I am overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that I, I would, it's like physically difficult to try to be productive or get work done or go about my day. When the first thing in the morning, I'm like, oh, well, I know I have to like clean off the countertop. And then that seems like too much. So of course, everything else is going to seem like too much. Right. So the thing that I've been trying to do is like every night, um, if I didn't do it throughout the day, before I go to bed, I have to have a clean countertop and no dishes in the sink, even if it means putting it in the dishwasher. And the like difference it's made on my like clarity, I feel like is uh, noticeable. That's amazing. Look at that. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. I also wanted to issue, I guess, a correction would be the best word or a, re a retraction of my chaser last week. Yes, yes. <laughs> so last week during my chasers, I mentioned that I'd read a book by uh, that was called uh, Hearts Invisible Furies uh, by an author named John Boyne. And as someone on Twitter pointed out, a listener pointed out, turns out this guy actually has a pretty bad history of um, being a transphobe. Yeah, not so. great. Also, Holocaust, uh, some some issues with the Holocaust there too. Uh, don't love uh, that. Yeah. So, you know it's bad when you have a section on your Wikipedia called controversy. <laughs> <laughs> you know you've made some mistakes in your life. Yeah, I get. I mean, one of his books was called "My Brother's Name Is Jessica." Um, which uh. is like literally the definition of dead naming, uh, the concept that you do not use the name of a transgender person that they do not use anymore. Right. Yeah. I, he sort of, and then he kind of doubled down on that and he, I guess, rejects the term cis or cisgender and, um, thinks transgender rights are something to be debated. Um, <laughs> So um, if the book I uh, talked about last week was on your list, you can go ahead and throw that out. Um, <laughs> and thank you for pointing that out, listener. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, I will do a better job of cross-checking my authors. All right, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to Unhappy Hour. If you want even more Unhappy Hour shit, you can head straight to my Patreon page and become a patron. And here's what you're going to get. You're going to get bonus Worst Things First stories that we cut from the week's episode, unheard anywhere else. And you'll get the extended guest complainer interview uh, in video form. 
So you can go to patreon.com slash for that. Otherwise, you can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, wherever you get podcasts, and hit that subscribe button. Also, rate us and review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, Yinka Rickford, Angwin, and me, Matt Belisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hans Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkelberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Belisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. You can leave us a voicemail on our rant hotline at 601-600-RANT. That's 601-600-7268. Leave us a rant that we may use on a future episode. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. I was going to sing a Newsy song, but I don't know any Newsy songs. (laughs) Wow. Open Open the the gates gates and seize the day. day.